Mark 14, 53 to 72. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. And even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray together. Father, we're here today to receive your testimony that you have recorded yourself for us to receive, Lord, that you are the Christ, the Son of the Blessed. Lord, we want to receive the testimony that you have for yourself today. And so, God, we, we, we ask that you would prepare our hearts. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come and fill this place and communicate to us, Lord, not the words of human beings, but the words of of God. Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in all that is said and done. And Lord, we ask that you would give us boldness, Lord, not just to believe who you are and what you've done, but to bear witness, to boldly stand before men and women and announce to the world that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Empower our testimony, Lord. We pray that Carpinteria, the coastlands, the nations would know how good you are and what you have done that we could be saved. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Christianity in first century Rome was illegal. Christians were seen as troublemakers. 
They were called atheists because they did not believe in the Roman pantheon of gods. They did not worship the same gods as the Roman Empire. And so they were regarded as godless atheists, troublemakers, just disrupting the peace and the way of life. They were even called cannibals because they were known to eat the flesh and drink the blood of their Messiah. And so they were called cannibals. They were even regarded as being incestuous because they only married those who were their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the Roman Empire turned against Christianity and many Roman emperors went to great lengths to try to snuff out this movement, try to snuff out the church. There were no categories in which the culture might receive Christians, and so they were rejected. One of the greatest persecutions was under the emperor Nero in the late 60s AD. And it's believed by many scholars to be that that this gospel, Mark's gospel, was written during that time and delivered to the Christians in the Roman church during one of the greatest persecutions the Christian church has ever experienced. These were the same persecutions that eventually led to the execution of the apostle Peter, who was crucified, as church tradition records it, upside down by his own request because he was not worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. There's a letter that's written from uh, a governor in what's known today as modern-day Turkey named Pliny the Younger. Pliny the Younger is writing a letter to the then-emperor Trajan in the early 2nd century that describes the kind of action that the Roman Empire was taking against those who professed Christ. He says that they were interrogated three times, each time under the threat of torture. And if they continued to profess Christ, then they were executed. And for those who then, through those interrogations and threats of torture, denied Christ, they were then forced to worship the image of the emperor and burn incense to worship the Roman emperor as a god and were forced to curse Christ. For uh, uh, Pliny the Younger was told that no true Christian could curse Christ. Christ. So even if someone says, oh yeah, I'm not a Christian, they would prove it by making them do these things. And if they refused to curse Christ, they were executed. Imagine this is your world. Imagine this is the world that you live in. Now there are many things that people consider on Sunday mornings before coming to church, right? You consider the weather. Some of you check the surf. Right? You consider what to wear or where you, what you're going to eat after church. I doubt that many of you considered whether or not coming to church today could get you killed. And if you did, it was probably more related to infectious disease and not to persecution. But our brothers and sisters in the first century and many parts of the world today wake up on Sunday mornings with the very real Re, the, the reality that showing up to church could cost them their lives. In the first century and in parts of the world today, people know other people in their lives who have experienced persecution, who have been disowned by family, who've been imprisoned or killed by the authorities because of their faith in Christ. 
Now, the reason I bring this up is because I am willing to bet that the way you and I naturally read this story is not the way it was written or originally read by those first century Christians in the Roman Empire. It's not the way it's understood in places like China or parts of Africa or even by the Christians in Russia and Ukraine today. I'll be honest, typically my first thought in this text for the majority of my Christian life is, Peter, you're weak. Peter, you're so weak. All you had to do is associate with Jesus and then you wouldn't be forever known as this weak guy who denied Jesus three times. Peter, you're so weak. But the original audience, the original recipients, those Christians in the Roman church, when they received this letter, they knew people who had denied Christ to spare their own lives. Maybe they even knew the shame of denying Christ themselves and they had the opportunity to see themselves in Peter. And though they may know the same bitter tears that Peter sheds in this text, they also knew something else. They knew Peter. The Christians that this gospel was written to, they knew Peter. Whether they knew him personally or knew of him, they knew that he would eventually, the same man that denied Jesus three times, would eventually go on and plant churches and be arrested and be beaten and imprisoned in Rome in their town and was awaiting execution. Or they, they read it and they looked back just a few short years earlier how he had, had been executed. They didn't just know the temptation to deny Christ. They didn't just know what happened to people who professed Christ before the authorities. They didn't just know the fear and the shame, but they knew that this man in this text who we are tempted to look at and say, Peter, you're weak. They knew that this man was not weak. They knew that this man would go on to do incredible things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they not only knew him and knew his story, but they knew the same redemption that Peter experienced. And so my hope for us today is that we would see ourselves in Peter. That we would see the temptations to this kind of fear, the temptations to deny Christ, the temptations to keep our mouths quiet as the stakes are raised against us. That we would not be afraid to associate with Peter in his weakness and fear. That we would let ourselves understand his grief and his failure, but that we would also experience the same redemption that he received. It's not Peter's courage that made him such a powerful witness to Christ later in his life, but it was his faith that made him a powerful witness to Christ. And it will be our faith that not only is the means by which we receive the same redemption, but is the power by the Holy Spirit in us to bear witness to Jesus. So first, let's understand the context of this passage and how Jesus and Peter came to be in this situation. If you remember, 
from the last few weeks that Jesus predicted earlier that night that Peter was going to deny him three times before the rooster crowed twice. And then Peter is, or Jesus is betrayed, he's arrested, and then he's taken to the estate of the high priest where members of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, have gathered together to determine Jesus' fate. The Sanhedrin is made up of the elders, the scribes, and the chief priests, all of whom have been plotting Jesus' death for some time now. And so what we understand from this scene is that this trial is a sham. This trial is is, is a farce. They're not interested in the truth. They have made up their mind that Jesus must die and they're looking for something to incite the mob against him. And other than Jesus, there is at least one other person in this trial at this time who knows the truth. And he's outside warming himself by the enemy's fire. See, Jesus' trial that begins on this night long ago It continues today. Jesus' trial continues today at at coffee shops and in dorm rooms and around dinner tables and in comment threads on social media sites. It continues on the History Channel and in podcasts and in this trial of Jesus. It continues in our own minds and hearts. Today, there are many people who are looking for information about Jesus, many of them honestly seeking how to know him, how to relate to him, how to experience his presence and how to experience the good news in their life today. But many are looking for a reason to write him off. Many are looking for an excuse. Jesus, I'm going to give you one more chance. If I show up to church one more time and somebody doesn't say hi to me, or if I show up one more time and I, and I don't experience that emotional feeling in worship, I'm going to show up one more time. And, and if, it, if it doesn't make everything perfectly clear in my life, I'm going to go to church one more time. And if you don't get, answer this prayer, if you don't do this, thing, I'm done. We're looking for information about Jesus, some to know him and some so that they can finally put a nail in the coffin and write him off. And this means that today there is great need. In this world, there is great need for good witnesses. There is incredible need for good witnesses. Now, a witness is not only someone that experiences something. A witness isn't just someone who sees something or or hears something. It's someone who is able to tell about what they saw. I love at weddings being able to remind those in attendance that they're not just an audience. They're not just observing something, but that they are witnesses. And as witnesses, they have a responsibility to bear witness. They have a responsibility to remind the bride and groom of their vows, which they saw 
and heard as they made promises to one another and to encourage them not just to pursue their happiness in one another, but to pursue the health of their marriage, to pursue uh, faithfulness to their promises that day. They are witnesses, not just observing, but witnesses who give testimony, who bear witness concerning what they have seen. And so Christ's witnesses are people who have experienced the grace of God in Jesus Christ, and so now have an obligation to tell about what they've received. If you have encountered the grace of God in Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in Him, you have received power from the Holy Spirit to bear witness, to tell about what Jesus has done for you. The world needs witnesses. Those who will share Christ's testimony. The world needs witnesses because so many people in this world, many people in this room are losing hope. We're losing hope. We're losing hope for the world. People are losing hope for themselves. And even those who appear to have hope only have it in this life. And when it's over, it's gone. We can distract ourselves from the inevitability of death and eternity. We add you know, as much money and, and, and pleasure as we can to our lives, but it doesn't save us. And people try to find hope in politics and activism and social change to make the world a better place, but oftentimes it just creates more division. It creates more hostility. And these same people see the testimony of Jesus. So oftentimes, the people who want to see peace in the world, they see the testimony of Christ as something that adds to the division instead of the power to reconcile enemies. Did you know that the blood of Jesus has the power to reconcile political enemies? It doesn't cause division. It shouldn't cause division. It should bring healing to the world. The world needs witnesses because the world needs Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you don't know whether or not Jesus is Lord. Honestly, I'm just really, I'm glad that you're here. I'm thankful that you're here, not knowing what it would be like to come into a church and whether or not you'd be received, whether or not you'd be welcomed. What you've done today, if that's you, is an act of courage, an act of faith to come and see what the Lord might have for you. And we love you and we're so thankful that you're here. Whether you choose to trust in Jesus today or not, I want you to know that this is a safe place for you to ask your questions about Jesus. This is a safe place to bring up questions and challenges and to to hear the word of God and say, I know this is what the Bible says, but this is what I experience in life. How do I reconcile those things? This is a safe place for you to bring all that you are as you are to Jesus and search what he might say to you. For all of us, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, I want to draw your attention to something in this text. I want to draw your attention to Jesus' posture in this text. You have to admit that Jesus' presence before the high priest is commendable. As false witnesses are spreading fake news about Jesus, he doesn't attack. 
He doesn't swing back. He doesn't start throwing punches. He doesn't get all defensive. He doesn't get all crazy and start raising his voice and trying to bring up all of the reasons why they have no grounds for making these claims against him. See, this is the way people respond when they know they're right, when people challenge them. Jesus confidently asserts the truth, and receives his fate. For those of you who know the grace of God, for those of you who know the gospel, you know the truth about Jesus. When people challenge you, can you stand before them and not fight? They're telling lies about him. And he doesn't say anything. But when he's asked point blank who he is, he speaks up boldly. See, how much different would the world be if we weren't so easily offended and and, and we stopped trying to hurt our opponents? The, The world needs those who will not only bear witness about Jesus, but will bear witness like Jesus to speak the truth the way Jesus speaks the truth because we don't only want people to know about Him. We want people to know Him and experience Him for themselves. And so as witnesses, we have a responsibility to put His character on display. Not just put His truth on display, but put His character on display in the way that we live, in the way that we stand trial, so to speak. The world needs good witnesses. But it's not only the world out there that needs witnesses. It's not just people outside of the church who needs witnesses. Our own souls need witnesses. You know what it's like to be discouraged. You know what it's like to to, to doubt, to have fears. You know what it's like when someone comes alongside you and encourages you and, and tells you about the good news of Jesus that you've always known but needed to be reminded of. We need to hear the testimony of the saints. Each of our stories is a testimony of Jesus' miraculous grace. If God has saved you, then your life, your story, whether you were saved out of some radical, uh, sinful lifestyle or whether you were raised in the church, either way, you have been, you're desperate for the grace of God and Jesus has met you where you are and you are a testimony of God's grace. And when you share your story with whoever you share your story with, whether it's about how he saved you or how he's given you power and hope and strength to endure difficult seasons, whatever it may be, it puts the beauty and power of Jesus on display. And believers and those who are not yet believers receive encouragement and are invited to celebrate the grace of God in your life. Our our own souls need your story because your story tells the story of Jesus. It tells the story of how Jesus associated with you to give you hope, to give you life, to forgive your sins. I need your story. I need to hear about what God has done in your life. The person sitting next to you needs to hear your story about how Jesus has entered into your life when you deserved him least and gave you what you needed most. 
We need good witnesses. God has given you a story and he's given it to you so that you will share it. And when you do, people are invited to encounter Christ as the hero of your story. So many people need to hear the truth about Jesus. It's when we're aware of this need. It's when we're aware of of the need for witnesses in the world and in our own lives that we recognize so often the failure to witness. We look in this text and we see that there are false witnesses in the world spreading lies about Jesus. Some from the unbelieving world who don't understand, who don't desire to understand, and don't know the weight of their lies and blasphemies as they tear down the person and work of Christ. Some of the false witnesses come from people who no longer identify as Christians, but are burnt by the church or disillusioned by a broken world. Some of the false witnesses come from people who are deceived. They think they're following Jesus, but they misrepresent him. And we see this all the way back in the disciples. James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven to burn up the Samaritans just because they didn't let them pass through their land. That's not the character of God. We see it in in Peter pulling out his sword when Jesus is arrested and cutting off a dude's ear. No, that's not the way about it. We see that same mentality in in the Crusades and in the Inquisition. We see that that same mentality in in refusing to stand up against things like slavery or or the Holocaust. Or today, we see people in, in churches teaching that God is a hateful, vengeful God and that He's only looking for opportunities to smite sinners instead of being the God who was smited to save sinners. There are false witnesses telling stories about God and about Christ that are not true, either in the words or the way that they live. There are false witnesses in this world leading people astray. And so again, we need good witnesses to stand up and to tell the truth. But it's often those who who are witnesses, who have encountered the truth and the grace of God that fail because we're fearful witnesses. I told a story last week about this weakness that I have around my members of my family. That for some reason, when I get around my family, I just, I'm so tempted to be the person I was before Jesus. And this last Thanksgiving, you need to know something about my family. My, my family doesn't, we're not, I, didn't, I wasn't raised in the church. Um, uh, the majority of my family, especially my extended family, they're, they're not believers. And so prayer before meals, even at, you know, on high holy days uh, or, you know, uh, things like that, we, it just doesn't happen. We don't, we don't pray before we eat. And this last Thanksgiving, um, we were at dinner with my extended family. Like I said, they're not believers, but my, my cousin's in-laws were invited and, and they're believers and they know I'm a believer and, and they made a big deal about the pastor and the family praying uh, before the Thanksgiving meal. And I was so embarrassed. And I was so afraid. And then I was so ashamed for being embarrassed and being afraid. I was terrified. I didn't know what to do. I was, I was really frustrated even for being asked. And in that moment, like my life is flashing before my eyes and I'm like, who, who do I think I am? 
calling myself a pastor, calling myself a Christian, and, and it's taking every ounce of strength in me just to pray out loud before my non-believing family? Look, don't let the confidence that I have on Sundays fool you. You know, Peter was in front of the other apostles, and he, just like them, announced that he would die for Jesus. Put me in a room full of people who are majority Christians, and this is easy. When I talk about fearful witness, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody before pointing the finger at myself. I know how hard this is. I know how terrifying it is. I know how scary it is. Anyone who would give Peter a bad rap here, I just want to ask, can you imagine what's going through his mind? He'd promised to die with Jesus. At his arrest, he pulls out a sword. That's the thing. You realize Peter tried to do something. His whole world had been flipped upside down. When Jesus was arrested, he tried to stand up for him the only way he knew how. He thought Messiah was going to be a warrior. This is war. Peter tried to start a war for Jesus. And Jesus told him war wasn't the way. And so he follows Jesus at a distance. So often we're, we focus on the distance part, but he followed Jesus. He followed him into the courts of the high priest. We can give Peter such a bad rap, but you have to acknowledge that there's some seeds of faith in here. I sincerely believe that Peter wanted to do something. He tried to do something, but he didn't know what to do. Now, certainly, he shouldn't have lied. Shouldn't have called down curses on himself, obviously. He could have just simply said, yes, I am one of his disciples. Right? I'm not, Peter's not innocent. But can you imagine what's going on in his head? He has no idea what's going on or what to do. And if you've ever been in a conversation with someone about Jesus, or overheard a conversation, maybe at a coffee shop about Jesus, and people are just getting it wrong, right? And you're so tempted, I should chime in, I should say something, I should stand up for Jesus, and then you don't because like, gosh, that makes you an eavesdropper, right? Like, I think you can relate to Peter a little more, more closely than you think. He doesn't know what to do. Maybe you're here, and you're thinking, you're all weak. I've never cowered from an opportunity to talk to someone about Jesus. And I sincerely hope that's true. I honestly do. I would love for us all one day to be able to say, like, I've got no fear whatsoever in sharing about Jesus. But please make sure that you don't, you don't just become another kind of failed witness, a self-righteous witness who pronounce judgment on others rather than the love and grace of Jesus' sacrifice. And just a rule of thumb, if you're more interested in being right than you are about participating with Jesus and seeking and saving the lost, this might be you, just saying. It was me. I've encountered all of these things. Some of my greatest fears is that when people explain why they don't believe, that they'd use me as an example. And I know that there are some that do. I know that. 
As much as we want to participate in spreading the gospel and advancing the kingdom, as much as we long to be good witnesses, we have to be honest with ourselves. It's more difficult than it seems. Not because it's difficult to do. Not because it's difficult to open your mouth and say the words. But because it's difficult to die. See, Peter still thought he wasn't going to have to die. He didn't realize that what Jesus is calling us all to do is die to ourselves. The reason Jesus could look the high priest in the face and tell him exactly who he is is because he had already resolved to die. When he left the Garden of Gethsemane, when he fell down before God and said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass before me, but not my will, your will be done. He was heard by God and he was resolved to go to the cross. And when we are resolved to die to ourselves, to die to public opinion, to die to what the world might say about us or do to us, then we will be able to share. We will be able to be good witnesses without fear. We're often still trying to hold on to life and its comforts until we die to ourselves. We will never be able to share Christ as boldly as we ought. But hope is not lost. Church, reality carp, hope is is not lost because the world is not saved by your own witness. The world is not saved by our own witness, but by the testimony, the witness that the blood of Christ bears on our behalf. See, Jesus is the faithful witness. When Peter stood before a servant girl who had zero power over him, he cowered from associating with Jesus. But Peter, Jesus stands before the high priest who had power to condemn him to death. And given the opportunity to speak for himself, he boldly bears testimony. The high priest says, tell us, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Are you the Christ, the Son of God? And he says, I am. Don't tell me that Jesus doesn't call himself the Son of God. He said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The high priest tears his robe, accuses Jesus of blasphemy. Tearing your robe was a sign of grief and, 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 and frustration and anger. And so he condemns Jesus of blasphemy. And let's be clear, if Jesus is not the Son of God, the high priest is right. If Jesus is not the Son of God, what Jesus says here is blasphemy. He associates himself with God, even associates himself with the divine Son of Man figure from Daniel chapter 7, who is exalted to the throne of God and receives the kingdom and glory and honor and praise. If Jesus is not the Son of God, he deserves death by Jewish law. The high priest is doing exactly what he's supposed to do. But if Jesus is correct, it changes everything. But the high priest doesn't care. The high priest was resolved. He had made up his mind. The mob doesn't care. Jesus has to die. He's handed over to the guards and they begin mocking him and beating him. And while this seems like a failure of justice, it was God's plan all along to justify those who would believe. See, though Jesus was perfectly innocent, Jesus would die like a common criminal so that we who have sinned could be declared innocent. The Son of God took upon himself the wrath of God for our sins so that we could receive the favor of God. 
And if you've trusted in the work of Jesus to forgive you of your sins, then you are a witness of His grace. You have experienced His grace. You've encountered His grace. And so you have a story to tell about how His miraculous power has made you a child of God. You are a witness and you must bear witness. And when you're tempted to be afraid or beat yourself up for missing an opportunity to bear witness to Jesus or feel inadequate for your past blunders in your witness, you need to remember that you are not associated, sorry, you are not saved because of your association with Christ, but you are saved because He associated with you. You are not saved by, by, by your words that you are a disciple. You are saved because the Son of God came to earth as a human being and associated with our humanity, associated with our sinfulness, associated with our weaknesses, received our sin upon Himself. You are saved because Jesus associates with you. And as sorrowful as we can be, just like Peter, we know something that Peter in this scene didn't know. We know that Jesus had to die so that we could live. Because forgiveness of sin requires death. And Jesus offered his life as a sacrifice for our sin. But he didn't remain dead. He didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the tomb and he poured his spirit out on the church. And when the spirit of God fell on God's people at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Peter became one of the most powerful witnesses the church has ever seen. He planted churches. He experienced suffering for being associated with Jesus, being a disciple, being an apostle. He'd eventually go to his death. And it wasn't because he learned something new. It was because he received the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit is the one who empowers all who believe to bear witness. It's by the Spirit of God that we are empowered to bear faithful witness. You are empowered to bear faithful witness. If you have trusted in Jesus, if you through faith have received the grace of God, then you have the Holy Spirit. It's not a matter of you needing to be empowered. You have been empowered. It's a matter of opening your mouth and sharing what Jesus has done for you. Look, you're not promised a receptive audience. You're not promised freedom from fear or freedom from the consequences. But we are promised power to bear witness. And even if you lose relationships over it, we're promised the presence of Christ. And even if you lose reputation because of it, you are promised glory with Christ. And even if you lose your life because of it, you are promised an eternity with Christ. Because Jesus didn't remain dead. He rose on the third day and the resurrection is the vindication of everything that Jesus said and did. And we look back on the resurrection and we remember what Christ has accomplished and it gives us hope of our own. And no matter what people say to you or how they respond to your testimony, we look forward to our own vindication when Christ returns. See, everything that we say and do in truth about Jesus will be vindicated. 
The Word of God says that all will witness and every knee will bow and every tongue confess the very thing that the high priest refused, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our vindication is coming when Christ returns. So what do we do with this today? How do we respond? After we receive the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has died for our sins, that he associates with the lowly so that we might associate with him in his glory, what do we do? Well, church, Easter's coming. Easter is coming and there is hope. And the world needs witnesses. Carpinteria needs witnesses. And if you have trusted in Jesus, then you have been qualified by the Holy Spirit within you. The world needs to know that the hope that is available in Jesus. And so church, tell everybody. Run and tell everybody. April 17th, 10 a.m., Carpinteria High School, the resurrection, go and tell everyone. Don't worry about what you will say. Don't worry about what people will think. Just preaching to myself as much as I am to you. Jesus will bear witness concerning himself that he has chosen to use us. He wants to use you. And all we need to do is love them enough to open our mouths and tell them about Jesus. Next week, we will have flyers that you can canvas the town with. But for right now, pray for those in your life who need to hear about Jesus. Open your mouth, speak, tell them of the gospel of grace. Tell them how he is the hero of your story, how he has associated with you and how he will unite himself to anyone through faith, who believes that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he forgives their sins and invites them into a beautiful, beautiful future. This is the future we've been given. This is the story we have to share. And this is the Holy Spirit who empowers us to share it. Let's ask him to do that incredible work in us and through us in this world. Holy Spirit, we know that this world needs witnesses and that you empower your people to bear witness. Holy Spirit, I pray that even as we worship, Lord, our worship would bear witness concerning Christ. Lord, as we go home and, and, and talk about these things, that our conversations would bear witness concerning Christ. Lord, that as we, as we pray, as we sing, as we tell those in our lives about Jesus, as we just tell them, hey, Easter is coming, that you would prompt their heart to, to want to know about Jesus. Forgive us when we're fearful. Lord, forgive us when we misrepresent you. Thank you that we know that you do that there is no shame, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd empower us to resolve in our minds and our hearts to die to ourselves and to open our mouths so that people can hear how you have died for them. Lord, be lifted up, be glorified in this place. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you didn't leave us in our sin. 
but you took it upon yourself, nailed it to the cross, buried it in the tomb, and then left it there when you rose from the dead so that we could share in life with you. Thank you, Jesus. Pray that that truth would be made known in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.